0: profitable path you've been searching for. With unlimited coaching, your success is guaranteed. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there.
1: It's not unheard of in this industry that women who work in the grow who will work topless can get paid more. <laughs> like this is up. this is what we come. This is where the industry is coming from, and it's dramatically changing from that. <laughs> oh my god!
0: And in, <laughs> a, in the grow is euphemism you know for greenhouse, like in the greenhouse.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, like women who are trimming plants and stuff like that. So you're in a contained environment where there are no eyes from the outside world seeing. So in this male dominated black market, that was an ex- you know, not an unusual thing. Whereas <laughs> as it becomes more legitimate, hopefully we'll hear less and less of that kind of stuff.
0: Welcome to the She Thinks Big podcast, where you'll hear from women entrepreneurs who are doing good in the world, from spark to screw up to success. Thinking big is in their core. It's in yours and it's in mine. I've traveled to 50 countries and seven continents, done an Ironman, and co-founded a company that has generated millions of dollars for sustainability. My name is Geraldine Carter, and I'm delighted to share with you conversations and coaching with amazing women. Time to get inspired and grow your impact. My guest today is Kim Bostrom of Dancing Goat Gardens and the Hope Center. In 2014, Kim left her job in the pharmaceutical industry, ready and in need of a change. A few years later, Kim and her husband, Jay, founded two companies and a nonprofit, all housed under one roof, to provide education, wellness, and cannabis products to those looking for alternative therapies. Kim is part of a small but growing force of women aiming to shift the old black market paradigm to one that is legitimate and operates above board. But that's not her only challenge. As a business owner, she's in an industry that is a patchwork of sometimes clear, sometimes ambiguous, and sometimes downright contradictory laws. Let's dive in. Here's Kim Bostrom. Hi, Kim. Welcome to the She Thinks Big podcast.
1: Thanks, Geraldine. I'm happy to be here.
0: Let's jump in right with what you do. Tell us a bit about Dancing Goat.
1: So Dancing Goat Gardens is a vertically integrated uh, cannabis operation. Um, we are full seed to sale production of cannabis as medicine. We have uh, As part of the operations, we have our full cultivation site, a manufacturing site, uh, a dispensary store for selling the controlled product. And then as part of the operations, we have a separate business that also sells hemp-derived CBD products.
0: How did you get started in this business?
1: So I come from a biotech background. Um, I was in a highly regulated biotech industry. Um, I was a business manager there and we, I I wanted to move away from that career and this opportunity came up uh, here where we are. Um, It seemed like a really good fit for me because I've already got the compliance background as well as paired with kind of a pharmaceutical slash biotech background. Um, So it, it really fits pretty well with the background that I have. And we had some people that we know who came from the industry who were interested in getting into the business. So me, as a uh, business manager, thought, you guys are crazy. No way I'm going to go do that. Um, but the more I looked into it, the more I realized that the business, the industry was ripe for, um, for real legitimate business opportunity, and it really needs people like me with a business background in it to help kind of transition it into the legitimate industry that it is today and away from some of its less glamorous or more black market roots.
0: (laughs) Gotcha, gotcha. So when you say an opportunity came up, like how does it how does an opportunity to get started in a growing industry just come up?
1: That's the interesting thing about this industry is that because of prohibition for so many years, it wasn't an industry that existed. So there's this huge hole that needs to be filled. So there's, it's almost, it's a little bit of a, they call it the green rush. You know, there's a, there's a green rush going on of people rushing in to fill this void that exists because there's a huge demand for this product legitimately as medicine and recreationally in honesty and the jobs and the, the business opportunity is there. It just needs the skill to fill it. Mm. And there's a lot of a lot of that happening all around the country right now, where I am in Montana, uh, the industry is just changing enough that I, I see it as a very good time to enter into the market. So how did the opportunity come up? Um, like I said, we met people We met the right people to set the course for us and realized that my skills and my business partner's skills were very well suited to the business opportunity that was there.
0: How hard was it for you to wrap your head around, like, am I really going to start a grow, like a growing business? Was that a hard transition for you mentally coming from corporate and coming from pharmaceuticals? Or were you like, yeah, totally. Like this makes perfect sense. Like, did you have any sort of identity crisis? Uh,
1: Maybe, maybe a little bit. uh, But I was in a, uh, an entrepreneurial environment prior to coming to this, the biotech company that I worked for. um, I was there for its initial period of growth. And, and so it was, it was very entrepreneurial. I hadn't started that business. I didn't have, of the skin in the game that I have in starting my own business like we did here. Yeah, it wasn't it it was a it was a good transition for me. I felt good. It's it's a huge risk and like I said, the skin in the game, you have to be ready to to know that when the money runs out in the bank account, you got to put some more in there. (laughs) It's on you to do that. (laughs) (laughs) always coming whether or not there's any money in the bank.
0: (laughs) So what have been some of the bigger surprises that you have experienced on this journey?
1: The biggest surprise probably for me is the lack of business knowledge and background. There's hundreds of businesses just right here in my own state that are already doing this and kind of the lack of business background that as an industry whole is there. I just wonder how are so many people running these businesses who don't don't have that experience behind them because it keeps me on my toes all day, every day, and I have 25 years of experience running businesses.
0: <laughs> so it makes you wonder, like, even if it's hard for you, then how is it possible that these folks who have relatively little experience and or training in the business world, how are they staying open?
1: Somewhat, yeah, I, th- I think the, the opportunity that presents is that if you have experience in compliance, um, laboratory background, Cultivation background, certainly, although that's a very, um, you know, that's a very specific talent that is totally separate. There's a lot of people who kind of have that skill, but it's a very specific branch of that skill. Um, But if you have compliance or business background, this industry needs you. Yeah. And it's as an industry nationally, it's looking for those people who are willing to take that leap from a corporate known into this new brand new industry that's out there. So that the, the industry is being built around you as you go.
0: Oh, interesting, because it's so young and because compliance and because regulations are being formed. Exactly. And how is it being a woman in this industry? Because for a long time, it sounds like it's been dominated almost exclusively by men.
1: Yeah, it, you know, it. When it's been in the black market, you don't hear of a lot of, uh, you you just don't hear of a lot of women run, I mean, look at an extreme example would be cartels. (laughs) You don't really hear of a lot of female run cartels. Um, And so it has been very, uh, you know, I I hate the word thug-like, but there has been that element of it. It's moving away from that, definitely. And women are actually playing a, a major role in the forming of this industry and bring a really important um, talent pool to the growing industry. So, as a woman in it, for me, because of the approach that we're taking, as we're treating it as business as usual, we're not coming into it as um, we're not we're not coming into it from a black market perspective. We're coming into it directly as it's a business experience, and. For me, um, I've really enjoyed being able to take a leadership role in it.
0: Is there, to what extent is there any resistance to that element of women becoming a more dominant force in the industry?
1: A little bit because there is still some of the, the, the old mentality, um, but women are coming on strong. There's a, um, there's a website called uh, womengrow.com, which is a, basically a business industry. For women in this, you know, going into the industry. Um, so it's a, um, a business group specific to that. So the the resources are out there to help it become more accessible for women.
0: What are some of the things that you run up against either as a woman or just like as a legitimate above board dispensary that, that surprise you?
1: Lack of knowledge and fear. Hmm. Fear is a big one. Um, people, this, this is. These products have been under prohibition for so long that all every, there's a huge amount of patient education and um, client education that has to happen. People come in, and you know, even our hemp-derived CBD products, which under the recent Farm Bill, hemp-derived CBD is now federally 100% legal. That doesn't mean it's legal in every single state, and it doesn't mean that people understand that instantly. And so there's a ton of education.
0: Let's do that again. (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm not sure I understand it, (laughs) right? Because it gets into like federal law and state law. So hemp derived CBD oil is legal at the federal level?
1: Correct. Under the farm bill. Okay. Is legal under hemp. Hemp just means that it doesn't have any substantial amount of THC, which is the, the intoxicating effect that you get from medical marijuana. Right. So hemp doesn't have an intoxicating amount of THC in it. It has less than 0.03%. Okay. And so any product that has less than 0.03% THC is federal by legal guidelines.
0: Is legal by federal guidelines? Did I say that in reverse? Yeah. That's
1: <laughs> <all> right. <laughs> um, okay. Was hemp ever illegal? Hemp and, and medical marijuana are both from the cannabis sativa plant. And so everything that's cannabis sativa was considered federally illegal.
0: Okay. So when did like, stuff like hemp seeds and you know linen hemp pants,
1: <laughs>
0: when did those things become legal?
1: The hemp that you're talking about was processed to the point that it was no, no longer related to the plant and likely imported because you can't really grow cannabis sativa in the United States prior to the Farm Bill of 2014, more or less made it legal. The Farm Bill of 2018 expanded on that and clarified that legality of it, which is what made CBD readily available so that within the next probably two years, you're going to start seeing it everywhere. I mean, we are already seeing it everywhere, but I mean, when you see it on the shelf at Costco, you'll know that that law has gone through all the legal review and it's at a point where it's just a, a norm
0: like a regular product
1: yeah exactly
0: and are there any states where it is still illegal where cbd oil is still illegal
1: yes there's actually a number of states um and some states very recently texas in particular <laughs> had made a point of that in that they arrested a woman who had it on her um, and she had perfectly legal CBD oil that met all of the federal standards for legality and Texas made kind of made a point out of her. So there are a number of states that still don't allow CBD.
0: I remember this because we drove to Idaho for Christmas Mm -hmm. with some CBD oil. And I think you guys warned us.
1: Yeah. Idaho doesn't have much tolerance. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Okay. Well, hopefully there are no cops in Idaho listening, although I'm not there anymore. So it's fine. Okay. So it's still, it sounds like a patchwork quilt of legality in terms of what the states have, have made legal.
1: It's even, it can be even more complicated because even a county could choose to not have it be legal. So federally it's legal and uh, a state would have to make a pretty good case if they're going to go after you for it but they can make that case if they choose to. Any state that has um, a medical marijuana program is likely to also be pretty tolerant of CBD or have rulings around CBD, um, but that, this is what I was saying about the industry is you're always trying to keep up with the regulation and the changes. It's one of the biggest challenges in the industry is that the industry pre- presents huge opportunity because it's new, but it creates these challenges because it's so new, everything's being figured out on the fly. So it's important to always be watching what's going on from a regulatory standpoint at a federal level and at a local state level to make sure that you're always staying one step ahead of it and adjusting as necessary.
0: Wow, that must be intense.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And there are states who have a a pretty well-established regulatory framework you know, California and Colorado stand out as kind of the prime examples of that uh, that have been doing it long enough that they've made they've made their mistakes and they've corrected their mistakes. So what what I look to is that the other states, Montana, where I am, looks for examples from states that have made or corrected mistakes and tries to take that into account with their regulatory framework. And we we try to work very closely with the regulatory bodies, which in Montana is the Department of Health and Human Services, to understand why, if they make a ruling, why are they making that? And how can we kind of help improve on that as we learn from within the industry? Because they're trying to figure it out as much as we are.
0: <laughs> so I've heard stories about how, even if you're a legitimate industry, that you know you can't open bank accounts and things like that, like there's still this um, two-layer system that the dispensaries operate in because like the money somehow isn't legal and they can't get you know legal counsel and like even though it's legal it's only quasi-legal and can you expand upon that
1: yes and that is another um, interesting challenge that I have had to pay payroll taxes using money orders and it's awkward (laughs) Because money orders are only $500 each. So you have to buy multiple money orders to make a payment um, that you would normally not even think anything about.
0: You've got to remind us a money order. You need to go to the post office
1: Uh, or grocery stores have them. (laughs) So you have to go buy a money order and send it off. Or, you know, some things you can go and deposit cash into a bank account, but payroll taxes are not one of them. So yes, you either have to go to, the state capital with your cash and turn it in or send them money orders. However, I'm very happy to say that as this industry normalizes, that's changing. There's the safe banking act is being considered right Uh now, um, which will make banking available to the industry. And I'm really looking forward to that because um, trying to do business in cash in this particular age that we live in is an interesting thing. And if you think about all of, all of your payments, your customers are paying you in cash as well. So then you have a safety issue of how are you going to handle the cash that comes in every day, you know, safes and that kind of thing. And then transferring that cash to the places that need payment. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a layer of complication. So can you not accept credit cards? Not for any controlled products.
0: So financially, you operate outside of the sort of mainstream systems.
1: And the reason for that is that banks are federally insured. So when you think about FDIC insurance, mm-hmm. banks right now can't take money from an industry that, that federally isn't accepted. And so until federally, it says, yes, this is this is legal. And, and what we're hoping, what I hope for from our perspective is that fed, federally it said, Yes, this is federally legal, but the states have to manage it. And that gives, the, um, gives us the freedom to have a bank account, but it allows the states to continue to regulate it rather than trying to regulate it federally. Um, regulation federally would kind of hand the industry off to major industry, pharmaceutical industry, and, and you know, essentially the major agriculture and major pharmaceutical industry is likely to take it over if it were just blanket regulated into, yeah, this is legal now federally. So, from from my perspective, we want federal, we want a federal nod of approval, so that we can get the services that we need in order to run an effective business.
0: Yes, gotcha.
1: But we don't necessarily want just blanket, yeah, this is legal now, and then chaos would ensue. I think.
0: <laughs> if it went yes, this is legal now, why would chaos ensue?
1: The parent company of Marlboro, uh huh, just invested into cannabis. Okay, has um other uh, tobacco and liquor is sort of poised to jump into the industry and they already have a very extensive network for distribution. Uh-huh. And my fear in that would be that you would see the medical side of it go, give way to the recreational side and the medical side is so important. And so a lot of small businesses like us would essentially be wiped out if that happened. So right now, the nice thing about this brand new industry that's offering lots of opportunities is that it's offering lots of, you know, that Main Street versus Wall Street mentality. These are Main Street opportunities, like for lots of small businesses. Yeah. Because if federally it was made legal, I think we would see a lot of corporate corporate takeover of it, which would be to the detriment of the patients who need it, in my opinion.
0: Right. Because you serve a lot of medical patients. Right. Who have legitimate medical needs. Right. There's also, and I want to come back to that. There's a little bit, there's two pieces that are hanging out in my mind. And one of them is federal regulation, but there's also the federal regulation of the farm bill that you mentioned from 2017 that legalized hemp. Okay. So legalized hemp, but not marijuana. Correct. The hemp is legal and that's why you can sell CBD oil. Right. So can you, this is, I totally in the weeds here, but can you take credit cards for CBD oil? Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. But you can't take credit cards for marijuana because it's still illegal. Correct. I don't know why I needed to know that, but. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I mean, it, it is a specific, so that's why our operations are somewhat complex. We have to have separate operations for our CBD products and for our control products. And we actually run two completely separate point of sales and have two completely separate businesses um, in order to be able to accept a credit card for our over-the-counter retail products.
0: Oh, oh my God.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> That's not even including the Hope Center, then, which is
1: a third business.
0: A third business. Yeah. So, in the dispensary, there are two businesses one for when you say over the counter retail, that includes things like CBD oil.
1: Yeah. CBD oil, CBD balms, and salves, and suppositories. I mean, you name it. We have a lot of CBD products. <laughs> okay. And they all have specific. Purposes um, and different conditions that they help with. Okay, which the FDA also won't let us say because they are not a drug and they're not a supplement. They're
0: they're what? There's something un.
1: are something un- else. They're right? unnamed. We, we can't make any health claims about them. The FDA yeah. can't regulate them because even though the FDA holds a patent on cannabis as a medical um, product, it the U.S. government holds a patent that says that cannabis is medically appropriate for treating certain conditions. And the FDA has approved a drug called Epidiolex, which is for seizures. And so the U.S. government, in two circumstances at least, is saying, yes, this is a medical product. But Schedule One drug means it has no medicinal value. So they're completely at odds with each other, which is why this industry is going to be re-regulated at the very least if not deregulated very soon because you can't there's too much contradiction built into it right now
0: (laughs) so rather than figure out appropriate regulations they're just going to deregulate
1: well unless big pharma lobbying or tobacco and liquor lobbying says reclassify it in a way that we can maintain control of it. (laughs) Oh, interesting. We're we're at an interesting tipping point in the industry right now where you know the question of re-regulation versus deregulation has so much to unpack around it that is going to have such an impact on how the industry moves forward and what happens with the thousands and thousands of small businesses that have formed to address this demand. People want when it was black market, people wanted cannabis when it's legal now in the states, people want it. There's a huge demand for it, and there's a big industry that has come forward to, to, to meet that demand. And right now, the federal government is kind of standing on the sidelines saying, their official stance at this point is, we're not gonna pursue anything criminal around this industry, the states can regulate it as they see fit, but we're not gonna announce that it's legal either. So it's in this limbo stage.
0: I mean, it sounds like the concern is that big pharma comes in, big ag comes in, and they've got the lobbying dollars to, you know, write the laws in a way that favors them.
1: Exactly. To the detriment of all the small businesses that would otherwise be thriving in a new industry.
0: So to what extent are all the small businesses all around ready to rally in order to stay afloat? Do you think that's possible? I mean, I hate to be like big pharma and big ag is the boogeyman, but holy crap. Like, let's not underestimate the power they have.
1: There are industry associations. Um, in in our state, we have the, brand, the Montana branch, the MTCIA, which is the Montana Can- Cannabis Industry Association, and the National Cannabis Industry Association is out there. So what that organization is doing is essentially lobbying for the industry to create these legal frameworks so that we can all operate. And so we have them at least working for us to kind of set that regulation and hopefully stem that tide of, you know, like you said, the big boogeyman corporate takeover. (laughs) Gotcha.
0: Okay. I'm curious to know, we were kind of talking about the banking portion of your business is really challenging. Are there other parts of your business, other pieces of the puzzle that also don't run above board or operate outside the mainstream?
1: Uh, an interesting part uh, is is it going back to like acquiring patients and, and bringing on customers, essentially. Cannabis is interesting because it kind of spans um, like a consumer packaged goods retail area and caregiving, you know, so there's kind of this crossover between the two. But in this particular industry, bringing in patients or, or um, gaining clients has some challenges, too, because like I was talking about the education piece and the fear piece, you know, ev- everybody who's coming into this, if if they were users prior to legalization, they have this fear that they're going to get on some black list and not, you know, the, the, going to go to jail somehow for something that has been illegal for so long for them. Or if they haven't been using it and they're curious about it, there's this fear that, well, is it really legal and isn't it just actually a recreational drug that it's going to, it's bad for me or, you know, so there's this huge education piece for both sides of your customer. And then on top of that, because it's a controlled substance, there's certain hoops that people have to jump through in order to become a, a cannabis user. And um, it varies. Each state has their own regulatory framework for that. But here in Montana, um, a patient has to have a doctor recommendation in order to get a card so that they can actually use the product and um, we're a medical state only, so some states are recreational, some states are medical only um, we we're medical only, and it you know it costs a patient a significant amount of money actually to become a customer of ours <laughs> or a patient of ours um, so that's another area where um, you know, it's not, you can't just pop up a store and people walk by and stop in and buy stuff. They can come in and buy the CBD. That's part of our business strategy is to make it more comfortable for people to be around the controlled products that they're unsure about. They come in, they know that CBD, oh, my grandma's using CBD or, you know, my daughter told me I should use CBD or, um, so they come in and CBD is a, a, stepping off point to learning about the other side of things. So it does allow people to come in and feel comfortable around products that they're not sure they're comfortable around yet.
0: Gotcha. Okay.
1: (laughs) So that's one area of kind of patient education slash um, acquisition of patients. We can't advertise. We're not allowed to advertise. So how do you get people into your store if they're scared of you and you can't tell them you exist? You
0: tell me, how do you?
1: (laughs) and that's where our business structure is relatively complex in order to address these specific challenges. Um, we created a whole framework of education around our products, where besides starting a dispensary and a retail store, we also started an education center. And our education center is focused on behavioral health and how cannabis can complement other wellness practices. So, um, you know, everything from self care, diet, um, yoga and exercise programs, the other supplements and healthcare routines that you're going through. And then in addition to those cannabis is another option, another tool in your tool chest to wellness. And there's such a strong sentiment right now against pharmaceuticals. There's just so little trust in pharmaceuticals right now that people are really looking for other options for their health. Mm -hmm. And they come in, they hear about CBD oftentimes and they come in, Hey, I hear you have this CBD stuff. And then we have the opportunity to talk to them about, yes, CBD is wonderful, but it comes from this fabulous plant that is also wonderful. And it's just a way for people to kind of ease into that without, um, and let kind of let go of the fear.
0: So to a degree, your marketing strategy was to open up the third business, which is mm-hmm. the education center to get people in the door and educate that way. Exactly. Holy crap.
1: <laughs>
0: so I hope that on the other side of all this legwork is some profitability.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, the, it's such a quickly growing industry and there is such a huge demand. I mean, there's if you want to just look at law and supply and demand, the demand has always been there and the supply has always been constricted right now. They're finally lifting the restriction on the supply and all these people who wanted it and couldn't get it can now step up and get it. So it's, it's a huge number of people out there who want it. And so it's just an industry that's exploding because it's been artificially restricted for so long. So yeah, I'm confident. I'm very confident that, the work that we've put into the structure is going to pay off both in terms of profitability for us, but also in terms of just helping our, our patient base.
0: Yeah. Because ultimately you want to be helping the people who are looking for you and what you have, the product that you offer.
1: And we also have to make a living. I mean, we and there's nothing wrong with being profitable
0: (laughs) while we help people. I just had this conversation with a, a bookkeeper an hour ago.
1: It's actually the two are so closely tied as a black market industry nobody's going to argue that again if you want to use an extreme example no one the cartels no one's going to argue the cartels aren't making a pretty good living (laughs) the difference is is how much are you know how much is it helping people when it's not regulated so the regulation goes hand in hand with the, the taking care of people because if it's not regulated then you end up with things like pesticides and you know contaminants and other things that you need that regulation and that's where the the government's stepping in and having these legal frameworks is so important for us to be able to give a good service to someone not just get rich you can get rich selling drugs pharmaceutical companies do it all the time in addition to whatever black market might be out there but beyond that if you actually want to be mission-based and help people too you need that regulatory framework (laughs) It's pretty scattered. I mean, I I hope you can No, I mean, I think together. the scatteredness is like <sighs> speaks
0: to just how much you have to wrap your brain around in order to in order to operationalize it. And that you want to do it all in a legitimate way and above board and like, you know, you want to make a profit and you know that your product helps people and you want to be legitimate and like get it out of the black market. And there's just so many strings to tug on. And like not only is it challenging unto itself, but then you have these extra layers of regulations that are categorically at odds with each other. Yes. (laughs) So what do you do with that?
1: (laughs) You learn to, uh, what's the saying? um, walk, skip and jump rope all at the same time. I guess you're running a business while trying to figure out the regulatory framework around it. (laughs) So
0: if you could create anything that you wanted with dancing goat gardens, what would that be?
1: What I want from Dancing Goat Gardens is an outlet for legitimate access to a very important um, pharmaceutical or health substance as well as recreational. I really do believe that there's a role for cannabis recreationally as well, um, that feels safe to people and that is above all, you know, doing no harm. So, you know, a, a profitable business that makes a living for me and my employees and offers a safe outlet for this, this substance that's in high demand. That doesn't sound inspirational, but I'm, I'm kind just, of a practical person.
0: <laughs> well, I'm just sort of marveling at that, you know, that seems like a relatively simple ask. And given the industry that you're in, that is a huge ask. Most of us business owners get those things automatically
1: (laughs) by the nature of starting a business,
0: (laughs) by nature of starting a business. I mean, they don't maybe get profitability automatically, but they have like a legitimate business. They have a product that they can sell without having to jump through hoops. They have, you know, like the system is, the system is set up for them already and they can just go right to operation. You don't, that's not a given for you in your industry. Which is wild to me. It's like it's hard enough to start a business, and you're starting a business in an industry that is where regulations are like all cattywampus.
1: And there's always that um, that fear that something's gonna somebody who's not able to follow the regulations or who's going to get busted is going to give everybody in the industry a black eye because then everybody goes, oh, see, it's just it's just you know black market drugs, right? You know, and there's always that danger of image that we're trying so hard to normalize it, it's really out there that it's not 100% normalized yet.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that there are people who are operating shadily, if you will.
1: Whether by the, you know, by design or because it's just easy to not follow the rules that changed last week.
0: (laughs) Right, right. Totally. Is there anything else that you want to add?
1: Um I I want to say thank you to Montana DPHHS because they are uh they're really trying to build a system to create exactly what I just said I want and there's definite challenges to it and I'm I'm pretty happy with how the department is um looking at what works and doesn't work and trying to implement stuff. Regulatory bodies get you know they they get a bad rap because they're trying to create rules. Mhm. And I just think um, I really appreciate what they're tra- what's trying to happen here.
0: Awesome. Thank you, Montana Department of Health and Human Services. <laughs> you probably don't get thanked very often. This has been such a treat. Thank you so much, Kim, for coming on the She Thinks Big podcast.
1: Thanks for talking to me today. I really appreciate it and enjoy sharing what we do.
0: Wow. I am blown away on so many levels. It's hard enough to start a business, never mind one that has all kinds of hoops to jump through, won't let you use traditional banking, and won't let you market your products. I so admire Kim's courage to lead in an industry that carries around all kinds of baggage, stereotypes, and pigeonholes, and the effort required to shift the paradigm that has operated in the shadows for so long. I'm also grateful to Kim and her husband, Jay not as a user myself, but on behalf of those who do legitimately need medical cannabis. I was at the Hope Center last week, and in my short visit, no fewer than three people with cancer passed through to pick up for chemo-related side effects. I want to say that it's high time, but that's a terrible pun, that we give this plant the recognition it deserves for its medicinal properties and get it off the black market. If you want to know more, go to dancinggoatgardens.com and thehopecenter.us. I'll put links to both of those in the show notes. Now, Kim is a self-professed numbers gal. She handles the QuickBooks for three companies. And still, we're going to sit down next week to look at all three sets of profit and losses and balance sheets to see if there's any opportunity and profit hiding in plain sight that she can take advantage of. If you might find it helpful to have an expert look through your books to help you see what you might be missing, know that I would love to work with you. Go to shethinksbigcoaching.com and click on the work with me tab to find out more. Ladies, what inspired you about Kim and the work that she and Jay are doing? Know that I would love to hear from you. Come share in the She Thinks Big Facebook group. Go to Facebook and search She Thinks Big. That's it from me, ladies. Have a great week. I will see you next time.